Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Donald McIntyre and this is Click for Murder, the companion podcast to CBS Reality's new television series. Now, throughout this series, we're revealing some of the most disturbing crimes of recent history, where the internet has been used as a tool to trick, torture and to kill innocent victims lured into a virtual world where nothing is quite what it seems. Well, on today's episode, we're looking at the case of George Appleton. This was a man with a violent past who charmed his way into Claire Wood's life but then murdered her when she rejected him. But why did you kill and what role did the internet play in this murder? Also, we're looking at how Claire's death resulted in a change in the law. Joining me to discuss this case are Dr Elizabeth Yardley, Associate Professor and Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Hello. And also again, we welcome clinical forensic psychologist Mike Berry. Hello. Well, here's the background. Claire Wood was a kind and gentle woman whose parents divorced when she was very young. However, she became extremely close to her mother's new husband, Michael, to such an extent that at the age of 15, she asked him to officially adopt her. In 1999, she married a man called Justin Wood and a baby daughter soon followed. But in her 30s, her happy, stable life took a turn for the worse after she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She gained weight and became frustrated by the way she looked and the way she felt. Liz, what is bipolar disorder and how would it impact upon someone like Claire? This is a condition that was formerly known as, as manic depression. So essentially it's, it affects somebody's moods and they will swing from feeling very low and lethargic during some episodes to feeling incredibly kind of high and energised and, and upbeat at other times. So it's a condition of extremes, really. One of the things about bipolar is that you become manic and have loads of energy very enthusiastic about everything, and then you slowly drift into depression. But the sad thing about it, over time, your manic episodes become less frequent, less powerful, and your depression becomes much more depressing. You become sadder, more depressed, and that affects the way you think about it. Now, if she's got a weight problem, she's got a problem of self-esteem, she's in a depressive state, this becomes more and more depressive. It's a vicious circle that goes round and round and makes you worse as time goes on. Eventually the bipolar disorder took its toll and her marriage to Justin collapsed. I mean, these kind of illnesses really you know, can impact hugely upon relationships. Yeah, one of the problems is often they're not treated. People think they're OK, they're great in the manic stage and then they get depressed and they don't realise how deep their depression is. 
And it's very difficult for partners who don't know what they're going to be faced with each day, and that puts pressure on their relationship. The break of this relationship was because of her bipolar disorder, we understand. That must have been really devastating to her because it wasn't something she could control. No, and it's it's difficult for everybody involved, isn't it? Because relationships can often be quite a pillar of strength for people with these conditions. They're quite a kind of protective factor. So when those relationships do break down, the person certainly isn't going to get any better and certainly isn't going to, to look at at the causes of, of the breakdown as anything other than, than their fault and they'll start blaming themselves for it. Because of the breakup of the marriage and because of her illness, she now does what very few women do or could do and would certainly struggle to do, and that is to hand over her daughter to her ex-husband to bring up. That shows you, I think, just how profound her problems were at this stage. Yep, it's unusual to say the least. Normally in a divorce, the mother would get the child unless there were good medical reasons for doing otherwise. And I think Claire would have been incredibly conscious of other people's judgments of her for making that decision. And I think that is is only going to serve to exacerbate the depression and the low feelings that she has. And if things couldn't get even worse, her life was then dealt another body blow when her mother died of cancer. And that was just a year after the breakup of the marriage. Her world was literally disintegrating more and more stress into her life. She wouldn't see anything in the future. It would all be very much in the present and it would be very depressing for her. But hopefully she'd be looking for something. In 2005, Claire resolved to make a fresh start. She was able to get medication that controlled her bipolar disorder and she settled into a new flat near Salford and she sought out a new partner. Perhaps because of her weight gain, and she did put on a significant amount of weight in those previous years, she felt more comfortable looking for love over the internet rather than directly in person, and she signed up to several dating sites. She described herself as talkative and affectionate, and she said she wanted a serious relationship with a man who liked the larger lady. So she was selling herself in a really honest and sincere fashion here, Liz. It's good for somebody who's keen to manage the impression that they're giving to others. So if you do feel a little bit self-conscious, there are ways that you can present yourself, both in terms of the, the text that you put in your profile, but also in terms of the picture that you upload. I mean, being part of her story now, it's really uplifting to see you know, and and nearly joyous to see that she has the courage to elevate herself from those previous really dark years Mm. to seek a new start, a new love. And that's really exciting. We're all with her at this stage. It is, isn't it? And if you think this was back in 2005, I mean, now there isn't very much stigma around internet dating. But I remember back in the day, it used to be a little bit embarrassing. People weren't always ready to, to admit that they were looking for love online. So it was quite a brave thing to be doing at this time. In April 2007, Claire did indeed meet a man online who seemed charming. George Appleton was a 40-year-old former fairground worker who lived nearby. And as journalist Michelle Livesey explains, he also had the gift of the gab. He had certain traits that he'd used to entice women. You know, he was confident, he complimented women, he lured them in that way, made them feel good about themselves. Within weeks, Claire was won over and they would spend time at each other's houses, chat for hours online, and soon they declared that they were in love. It appeared to happen very, very quickly, but that 
Is that the nature of love in the online digital world? This, for me, it stands out right from the beginning. If something is happening and unfolding really quickly, that sends alarm bells ringing for me because this is what tends to happen with abusers. They kind of ride into someone's life like a knight in shining armour and, you know, have this whirlwind romance. Uh, And it, it can really sweep someone off their feet, especially if they're a bit vulnerable. At this stage, because of her previous difficult and dark years, Is she susceptible to anyone who might show her that, you know, huge plethora of attention and flattery? Oh, without any doubt. Most men aren't very good at giving compliments. You've got somebody here who's good at complimenting women, make them feel good, and that's going to enhance her self-esteem. The other interesting thing is he's also doing this with other women, and we find this a lot in prison, that prisoners will write to five, six women at a time, keep them on the fishing hook line, and slowly draw one or more of them in. I mean, there's a sense to where she was very vulnerable in her search for love and equally desperate for her search for love. I really don't think we should be focusing too heavily on on her in this situation. I think we've got to look outside and look at the kind of social pressures that we place on people to have a relationship. We're judged on whether or not we're in a relationship. And I think all of us have felt that kind of pressure at some point. But I think Claire will probably feel it a little bit more poignantly than others. And indeed, as we turn the focus on to Appleton, he had a past. He had a dark side. What was that, Mike? Well, he had a history of violence in the past. He'd harassed and assorted previous girlfriends, things like this. So we've got a man who's got a history of stalking, history of violence towards women. And the worrying thing about that is it then gets transferred to the next female in his life. Now, at this stage, Appleton is apparently trying to put his past behind him. And he seems, or he claims to be, entirely and genuinely in love with Claire. Or is he plotting something much more sinister? This isn't about love at all. This is about ownership and possession and control masquerading as love. So I think what Claire is looking for and what he's looking for are completely different things. And Claire's dad, you know, he smells something is not quite right in the way that parents, I know, they do seem to have quite an antenna and radar for something that isn't right for their children. Yeah, but it's a very simple reason. When you're in love, you're blind. You, you just see what you want to see in the person that's opposite you. And I think Claire's probably used to people pitying her and she's probably getting quite sick of that. So she's not going to want to, to say yeah, this isn't going very well, this is failing, because what are people going to do when she says that? They're going to go, oh, poor you. And she just doesn't want that anymore. But there's no sign that it's going wrong at this stage. She's got the guy, he, he's coming around to the house, they're having a, a sexual relationship, she's having a loving relationship with him. Everything at this stage is fine. It's dad's bells are ringing, her bells aren't ringing. Mm, she's determined to make a success of it, isn't she? And, and more than that, she's now telling her family and her father that she wants to marry Appleton, and uh, that must have really provoked his concerns. Yes, because if, he, if he's got doubts beforehand, he's thinking, oh, well, maybe it'll blow over and she'll see the light and everything else. But she's going for marriage, and not long after having failed in one marriage, she's going into another one. Yeah, most parents would be a little bit uh, worried, to say the least. Now, this is the extraordinary thing. Appleton, at this stage, or sometime around this stage, tells Claire that he had a previous conviction or was in trouble for harassing an ex-girlfriend. 
Why did he say that to her? And then why did Claire not react in the way that we would probably expect her to do, i.e. with fear and trepidation and get the hell out because of there? Because he's being honest and she likes the fact that he's being honest. I'm telling you all my dirty secrets. I'm being honest with you. We can move on to a higher plane and everything else. Also, she thinks, as a lot of women do, she can change him. He will see the light and... She will change him and she's safe. And he's he's getting ahead, isn't he? He he knows that this is something that could potentially come out. So he's getting in there first and he's presenting a narrative that he's in control of. So he's going to be saying things like, I'm going to change for you, or he's going to be blaming it on his previous victim. But he'll be, you know, spinning that narrative right from the start. To crystallise the situation at this stage, is Appleton looking for a victim? Is he looking to murder or is he looking for love? He's not looking for murder. He's looking for control and domination of a female and hopefully her adulation and love for him. He's not in love with her. He's using her for sexual reasons and emotional reasons and for his own self-esteem. But there's nothing here to ring bells about potential killing her. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. Murder is not on the cards at the moment. He is trying to control Claire by keeping her in the relationship at this point in time. However, after several months of this happy new relationship, things perhaps inevitably started to turn sour. Claire suspected Appleton of infidelity and she confronted him on that. He admitted he'd been seeing four other women. Oh my, what a body blow to this vulnerable kind of woman who's built herself up, had a fresh start. This is a kind of the phoenix from the ashes. But the fact four shows that he's very much in control of the situation. He can say, I can get other women, I don't need you. You've got to conform to my standards rather than me conform to your standards. And of course, as much as they were brought together by the internet and online, much of his infidelity that she discovered, she discovered via text, mobile phones... Digitally. Yeah, this is the thing about internet communication. We leave a trail behind us, especially if we're using our own particular individual accounts. You can see who you've had contact with. So it's it's something that, that people are, are often quite kind of possessive over. They don't want others to see it. But he's also able to communicate to the other women while he's with her. So it's not like the old days where you'd have to move and find a woman somewhere else and have to explain why he's away for two or three days. He can communicate to all four women and still be in the living room with her. This is the thing about the internet. It acts as a force multiplier, doesn't it? So you can have several people on the go at any one time and it doesn't actually involve the investment of too much time or resource. When she confronted him with the details of his infidelity, he reacted as his past dictated. Yeah, he flew into quite a violent rage. I mean, this was information that, that he didn't want her initially to have access to. And she's found out and he's just not happy about that at all. He, he uses a straightforward, very childlike response of showing anger when he's been caught out. He's not very sophisticated, which is interesting because most of his behaviour in the past has been quite sophisticated. Claire was naturally terrified and decided after that incident to end the relationship. And she decided to write a letter to Appleton, which we can now hear being read by her father, Michael. It says, Dear George, there's no easy way to say this, but I don't want to be with you anymore. Too much has happened and I can't ever trust you, no matter what you do. You still scare me and I can't be with somebody I'm frightened of. Don't use this as an excuse to go off the rails. Take care. I mean it. Claire. 
Why did she write instead of have another conversation with George Appleton? She's well aware of of the type of person he is now. She knows that he's going to try and worm his way out of it, that he'll probably interrupt her when she's trying to explain her position. So by putting it all in a letter, she gets to, to get it all down there and have it all in black and white. It's quite placatory, the tone. And what does that tell us about Claire's mood and that time? I think she's still in love with him, and that's the thing that comes across. The scared bit is the sensible bit. She's thinking with her head about the reality of him, but her heart is still very much in love with him, and that's the problem. And it comes across very simply as... She's scared, but in love. And that's one thing that Appleton will take away from reading this letter. She still cares about me. Appleton took the news that Claire was ending the relationship rather badly and he started stalking her online and sending her abusive messages. He came to her house, threatened to damage her property and to physically abuse her. Why had he taken this rejection so badly? Appleton believes that these kind of decisions are his decisions alone. If the relationship is going to end, he's going to be the one that does it. So it's the fact that Claire has taken the control away from him is the thing that he's so angry about. He hates being rejected. He feels angry. He does a very simple thing, and that's get back at her and hurt her because she's hurt him. I think he wants he wants to control her. He wants to get her back under his control. Sometimes that will involve violence, sometimes it won't. And I think that's one of the things that we need to be conscious of when we're looking at this case. When we think about domestic abuse, we tend to think, well, if there's no violence, it's not really abuse. But, but this had been abusive, I think, right from the word go. You've got psychological violence, which is much more powerful because it starts to eat away at the victim. On one visit to the house, Appleton punched his fist through her door and threatened her. So Claire then went to the police and they tried to help. Appleton threatened to set fire to her house, so the police put a stopper in the letterbox and put a panic alarm in her bedroom. This was escalating completely out of control, Liz. It is, and and what's happened here is that he's taken his abuse and his violence out into the open, so rather than this being something that happened behind closed doors, it's visible now. Other people can see it. It does feel as if it's now escalating so quickly. He was threatening to firebomb the house. He's threatening, the key word here is threatening. He's trying to induce fear and panic in her, the threats, and the threat of somebody setting fire to your house is a really frightening thought, because you can't control it, because it can do it any time. But most people who make these threats. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do not carry them out. Most stalkers do not kill. What we need to find out is why he did it on this occasion. The abuse was now becoming a daily occurrence and on one occasion, Appleton battered on her door for hours. Claire again alerted the police and Appleton was arrested and this time given a restraining order. Uh, what exactly restrictions was Appleton placed under? So in terms of the things that Appleton was, was ordered not to do, he was banned from contacting her, from even going into the street on which she lived. So they were putting those, those physical limits on him. And then, unbelievably, despite freeing herself from this abusive relationship, Claire went back to seeing Appleton. Because he charmed her with the right words, he's sorry, he's apologising, and she's still sadly in love with him. And we find this time and time again in domestic violence situation, the woman or the man, depending which victim it is, um, is still in love with the offender. She goes back to him because abusers aren't abusive all of the time, and what she will be remembering won't be the, the violent incidents and the really horrible things he did to her, but it will be the, the charm that, that she saw in those early days that made her feel so good about herself. This is actually quite a vulnerable time for her. Appleton's demeanour, at this stage, the fact that he's recovered this incredibly losing position, the police have placed a restraining order, right, and he's defied the police because he's got his girl back. How's he feeling? Oh, he's going to feel very empowered by the whole process and he's going to enjoy the power that that's given to him. Plus, she is so in love with him that he knows he can manipulate her to whatever ends he wants. And he feels completely entitled to her because at this point he does think of her as as somebody he possesses and he owns and he controls. And then another shocking move. After they got back together, Claire wrote a letter to the police telling them she no longer thought Appleton was a threat. She wrote, After much thinking in a calmer state of mind, I was wondering if there might be a way of stopping the charges. But were these Claire's real thoughts or was Appleton simply behind the arc manipulator behind the letter? Here's the view of Phil Owen, a former detective superintendent for Greater Manchester Police. Knowing what the relationship between Appleton and Claire was, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that actually the letter that was written into the police by Claire asking for George not to receive a custodial sentence may have been orchestrated uh, and manufactured by, by Appleton. Mike, what's your thoughts? Did she write the letter of her own volition? I think it's clear that he would have led her either to write it or he would have written it and got her to copy it out. Clearly, he's manipulated her to do this. He would know what he has to say to the police to get them off his back. She's been the the puppet in this game, basically. He's the one who's pulling the strings. He Mm. might not be the one who's writing the letter, but he's definitely the driving force behind it. So she had the power of incarceration, prison or not for him, so freedom prison. That's the power she had. But she doesn't recognise that. All she sees is this man that she's still, for whatever reason, madly in love with. She doesn't realise that she has that power and control. Appleton attended the bail hearing and given Claire's statement to the police, his conditions were amended. He was now allowed to go to the street where she lived to see his friends, but was still legally forbidden from contacting Claire. Despite this ruling, it seems they were secretly seeing each other again. Two weeks after the bail hearing, Claire then went to Appleton's flat for what may have started out as an amicable visit, but then soon turned violent. 
The next day, Claire called the police to report that Appleton had attempted to rape her. Now, this puts her in a really difficult position. She's been given all the protection of the law and then she removed all that protection. She broke that. It must be very quite a courageous move for her to go back to the police and admit she'd called it wrong. This is often what you will see abusers do. They will implicate the victim in their own victimisation. So by writing the letter to the police, by not complying, by not being the, the perfect type of victim that you should be and comply 100% with the criminal justice system, he is basically kind of damaging her status as a victim. He's making her less appealing, less believable, and that's going to serve him well. And he rings the police at Appleton to check if Claire had made a complaint against him. You know, is he trying to cover his tracks? Is he trying to isolate Claire as somebody who was being delusional or making false allegations? He's, he's getting ahead, isn't he? He's getting in, in control. And in contacting the police, he's able to cast himself in the role of the victim. But he's also got the advantage that he can say, well, she came to me, so why would he have to rape her if she's come to him against all the regulations, all the rules laid down for their contact. Appleton was, as we'd expect, arrested, but it was his word against Claire's. So he was bailed once again with no charges brought against him due to insufficient evidence. Yet despite no charges, at this stage at least, being brought against Appleton for this alleged sexual assault, he was still legally barred from making any contact with Claire. Well, it seems that Claire was now rid of him. But Appleton had other ideas. Over the next few days, he flouted his bail conditions and contacted Claire online via Facebook. I mean, he's really very defiant. I mean, mm. he doesn't care. I mean, no, these restraining restrictions really have, 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 have no bearing. Of course they have no bearing because he is obsessed. The whole point of stalkers is they become obsessed with their victim and they will spend hours and hours being obsessed by the victim. So things like legal restraints have no impact on them at all. He has got one goal, and that is her. Mm, and if you look at what he did on Facebook, um, he did a Facebook poke, which is basically a, a way of saying, hey, I'm here, look at me. But the way that it translates in, in this case is, look, I'm watching you. Yeah, he, he's using the internet to stalk her in a much more sophisticated, clever way than banging on the door. In January, the police interviewed Claire about her sexual assault allegation against Appleton. But once again, it was revealed she'd seen Appleton willingly despite the restraining order that she had requested. The police's attitude seemed to have changed. The charges were dropped and at the end of January 2009, Appleton was allowed to walk free with no restrictions about seeing Claire. And I get the point, the police's view on this is that we put restrictions in place, we take all these considerations, she breaks them. I mean, if she keeps breaking them, then uh, why keep putting them in place? And this is the one mistake that's being made here. There's so much emphasis being put on Claire's behaviour and the police aren't really scrutinising Appleton's behaviour, which, of course, when you look at it on its own, is incredibly problematic. It ticks a lot of those risk factors that, that we see in cases of intimate partner homicide. Yeah, but on the other hand, from the police point of view, they're spending a lot of time and energy on this case, and then she's going behind their backs and meeting up with him. They're going to say, well, what's the point of us spending time and energy on this? They're clearly destined to be with each other, and that's it. On February 2nd, 2009, Appleton entered Claire's home and lay in wait. When she returned to the house, he overpowered her, dragged her upstairs and raped her. He then strangled her to death. But he wasn't finished. He then set fire to the body in a clumsy attempt to destroy the evidence. This is 
an extraordinary answer to his own insecurities and determination for revenge. Such a tragic end. Why? He's been very, very brutal with her because he's very angry with her. He's gone in there. He's not worried about the consequences. He's controlled her by raping her. They've had previous sexual relationships. He could have tried seduction. He doesn't. He's gone in there to rape, to show his anger and his control. Strangulation is then the ultimate in terms of personal expression of anger to somebody. But why kill her when he could have stopped at just with the violence and the rape and, and figured he'd have got away with it just like he'd done before? Why, why move it on? He's changed the project, which is the, the phrase that, that we often use in, in these situations. So he's been unsuccessful in attempting to control her by keeping her in the relationship. So instead, he's controlling her through destroying her for attempting to leave the relationship. But then burning the body. What could this potentially point to? I mean, there's an arson theme running through some of his threats. Or perhaps is he just trying to destroy evidence? It's, it's further exertion of control. She is mine. Even though she's, she's now dead and I've killed her, she's still mine. I can do with her body what I want. I've destroyed her life. I've destroyed her body. I'm now going to destroy her home. Because he feels entitled to do so, because she's his possession. Inevitably, Claire's family became concerned and her ex-husband visited her house and discovered this terrible murder scene. A manhunt was quickly started and the police even put out messages on social media for Appleton to hand himself in. The police quickly realised that Claire wasn't the only woman he had targeted via social media and he was soon dubbed the Facebook fugitive by the media. Appleton avoided the police for a week until his body was discovered in a derelict pub in Manchester. He'd hung himself but left no suicide note. On to the sense of the Facebook fugitive. I mean, you've done the first and kind of original research on Facebook murder. And this is one of the first times we've come across this phrase. Yeah, I think this was one of the earliest cases that I came across of the word Facebook being used in conjunction with with crime, Facebook murder, Facebook fugitive. But I think it almost kind of dissolves the responsibility a little bit. And we have to be quite careful when we're talking about social media, that we're not saying it leads people to do this, it drives people to do that. People like Appleton use it as a tool. He's an abuser and social media was just another tool in his toolbox. Appleton then decides to kill himself. Why? The ultimate in control. He's not going to spend the rest of his life banged up in the Majesty's prison. He's going to control the game, and the game ends up with him killing himself. Why no suicide note? It's surprisingly, quite a lot of people commit suicide without leaving notes. We always have this assumption that people are going to leave reasons for committing suicide, and in the majority of cases, they don't. There's always a suggestion that it's the ultimate form of control by committing Suicide, But why can't we just acknowledge the fact that actually he'd perhaps realised he'd committed a crime, he wasn't going to get away with, and he simply decided it was too depressing to face a lifetime in jail or perhaps 16 to 20 years in jail, which was what he'd have got, uh, and then he decided to take his own life. You know, why do people always say it's about control? It is about control. He wants to be in control. If you go into prison, the prison takes control of your life completely. That's why we have a lot of self-harmers, because they want to have some control over their lives in prison. Now, this man is committed a serious offence. He knows he's going to go down for a long time. Therefore, the obvious thing to do is top himself. He's not going to show any remorse. He doesn't feel remorse for what he's done. He's just being realistic about the future. Yep. I mean, I, I get the fact that he, he can't face 
you know, 20 years in jail, you know, being controlled and dictated to by the authorities in the prison system. But, you know, is that just the fact that he's depressed and decided, I don't want, want to do that, rather than he's exerting control? Is there a difference, Liz? It's all about control. It does. It always comes back to that. I'm the one who wants to be in the driving seat. I'm the one who wants to be calling the shots. And he doesn't want somebody else telling him what time he gets up, deciding when he eats his meals, what he eats. There's so much control is taken away from you in prison that, that he just doesn't want that to, to even come onto his radar. This is a murder born out of the digital era. She was groomed online. The evidence of his infidelity was digitally preserved. What kind of social media killer was Appleton? When I look at people who use social media in relation to the murders that they commit, they tend to do different things with it. And when I look at Appleton, he's using social media to to basically make contact with people, to groom them. So he's a predator. But there's no doubt that social media and dating websites made this murder more likely I think so, yeah, because they, they are essentially a hunting ground for predators like Appleton. They, they know what to look out for on people's profiles, those vulnerabilities that they'll hook onto. I think it was very efficient the way he used the internet. He saw a vulnerable person, he took advantage, he used that to get his aims. But what we've got to be realistic is most people are not going to be killers using the internet. Was Appleton always a murderer in the making? No. I think what happened was he was sitting in the house, he was fermenting. He probably thought she was going to come back quite quickly. He's sitting in the house for hours, he's fermenting this anger, and it's just building up and up into an explosion of violence. If not Claire, would it have been somebody else? Was there a sense that even if he didn't have murder in mind when he first met Claire, was it inevitable with his pathology that he would commit murder or something exceedingly close to that? Well, this is a man who was going to use threats and going to use violence to be able to exert control over others. And that will obviously result in somebody coming to some harm at some point. So I think he would have definitely ended up at least harming someone else, if not killing them. When did he decide to kill Claire? You're making the assumption that it's a clear-cut decision. I would argue that he has built up the anger and it's just fermenting away quite happily and then he explodes. And we see this sometime where under-controlled men have this explosion of violence, a volcano of violence, which they can't control. Following the murder of his daughter, Claire's dad, Michael, campaigned for a legal framework to be put in place for the victims of domestic abuse and their families to find out about their partner's previous convictions. After three tireless years of work, Claire's law was introduced nationwide following a pilot scheme. Now, this is extraordinary work for that. What, a, what an important bit of work that is. Can you explain to our listeners what Claire's Law is? Well, basically, Claire's Law is a law where you can go and ask the police for information about somebody else in terms of their history of violence and domestic abuse. So a a partner can go and check with the police that their partner hasn't got violence. But the parents of 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 their child can also use it. There are constraints in terms of what information will be given to the inquirer. The further they're away from the the offender, the less information they can get. But there are times when the police will actually give that information because they regard the the partner as a high-risk offender. And the, the good thing about it is that it's proactive rather than reactive. So, so the police act on people's concerns. They go and check the records. And then if they feel that there's a risk, 
that they might need to disclose information to to people who can best support the potential victim. So it is a it's a preventative mm. mechanism. And one of the good things about it is that neighbours can actually use it. So if you happen to see people next door being violent or abusive or something like that, then you as a neighbour can actually go to the police. That didn't happen in the past. Well, thanks to my guests, Dr. Elizabeth Yardley and Dr. Mike Berry. And of course, you can watch the full documentary of Click for Murder, George Appleton on CBS Reality. From me, Donald McIntyre, for now, goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.